Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Tonight, I will be reading more stories from King Arthur and his knights. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you story. Sir Balin In Arthur's court there dwelt a poor knight 
named Balin, who had accidentally killed the cousin of King Arthur and had been taken to the court of the king for trial. He had lived there almost as a prisoner for six months until it was decided that he had not meant to do wrong. All his money was gone and his clothes and armour were poor. He was sorry for this, but he was still more sorry that he was not doing brave deeds like the other knights. One day, when he sat in the great hall at Camelot, looking at the shields which were carved or covered with gold, a damsel entered who wore a rich mantle trimmed with fur. As Arthur and the knights looked at her, she let it fall to the floor and they saw that she wore a very heavy sword. Damsel, said Arthur, why do you, a maiden, wear a sword? Alas, said the maiden, I should be glad if I did not wear it. It is very heavy and causes me pain, but I am forced to wear it until I meet a knight who can take it from me. Surely many knights could do that, and gladly, the lord said. No, said the lady, it seems that there is but one knight in all the world who is to take the sword. I heard that there were brave knights at the court of King Riance, the enemy of King Arthur, and I went there. Yet no one could unfasten the sword. Now I have come here on the same errand. In truth, damsel, said the king, you are right welcome. My knights shall try to take your sword. Then, at a sign from Arthur, the knight stepped forward. But even though he exerted all his strength, the sword could not be unfastened. Sir, you need not pull so hard, said the damsel. The one who is to take the sword will do so easily. All the knights tried except Sir Balin, who stood back because of his poor clothes. Yet he wanted very much to see if he was the chosen knight. And just as the damsel was going away, he said, Damsel, will you let me try? I am poorly clothed, but my heart tells me that I may succeed. The damsel saw that he had a good face, but his clothes were so poor she doubted if he were really a knight. I'm afraid you will fail, she said. Ah, maiden, he returned, poor clothes are but the outside. Good deeds are just as worthy, whether done by a rich person or a poor one. Many a man who is badly clothed has real valour and kindness. That is very true, she said. So try, good sir. Then Sir Balin seized the hilt of the sword, and the weapon came away easily. All the lords wandered, and the lady said, You are a good knight, the best I have met. You shall do many brave deeds, and now give me my sword again. No, said Sir Balin, I should like to keep this sword, for I have no other. Alas, said the maiden, I am sorry to hear these words, for now I must give you the sword. Surely he deserves it, said Arthur, for it weighed heavily on you. Yes, she replied, but it is a misfortune for him to keep it. He shall slay with it the best friend he has in the world. It is going to prove his destruction. Sir Balin would not believe her. I cannot slay my best friend, he said. Besides, I am willing to meet whatever happens, and I wish to keep the sword. Then the maiden departed in great sorrow while Balin said to the king, 
My lord, give me permission to leave your court. I do not like to lose you, said the king. Perhaps you are angry because you were in prison so long. You must know that it takes time to find out who is innocent and who is guilty. My lord, answered Sir Balin, I know it is not wise to make a judgment hastily, and I do not blame you for keeping me in prison. I love you, and wish to leave your court that I may do some deed worthy of the round table. Then Arthur said he might go. Soon a servant brought to Balin a fine horse and good armour, which were the gifts of the king. Balin at once took leave of Arthur and the knights and rode away, singing as he rode, for he was very happy. Sometimes he stopped to lift up his shield and admire it. It had a blue emblem upon it, and to Sir Balin's eyes its beauty was that of the sky, the soft blue of heaven. Sir Balin rode until he was tired. At last, from the crest of a hill, he saw a gloomy stone castle and galloped towards it joyfully, hoping to rest there. At a turn of the road, he saw a cross with gold letters upon it. He stopped to read the words which were, Let no knight go to the castle, for great danger is there. Oh, said Sir Balin, I am used to danger. I fear nothing. And he went on. Presently an old man started up beside the road. He had a long grey beard and was dressed in a long grey robe that sparkled with little specks of frost. The old man said to Sir Balin, Did you not read the letters of the cross? Yes, replied Sir Balin, but I am not afraid. Oh, Sir Balin, you of all men should fear to go to that castle, the old man said. Why? he asked in amazement. Nevertheless, I shall go. Sir Balin, Sir Balin, cried the old man after him. You are too self-willed. You will be very sorry for what you have done before you die. But Sir Balin rode on without fear and soon reached the gate of the castle. A hundred beautiful ladies and many knights welcomed him. They took off his armour and put a rich crimson cloak upon his shoulders. Then they led him into a banquet hall where there was music and dancing. They set food before him, and he ate, thankfully. He was very happy, feeling sure that he could rest here for many days. Just as he was thinking this, the lady who was mistress of the castle said, Sir Knight, it is a rule of this castle that every lord who comes here as a guest must fight. That is a hard custom, said Sir Balin. Yet, you need fight but once, answered the lady. We have here the knight who entered just before you came. Alas, said Sir Balin, I would rather not fight, for I wish to rest. Since such is the custom of the castle, however, I must do my part. Let someone bring my armour. A servant at once came up to him with a suit of black armour. This is not my armour, said Sir Balin. My armour is not painted black. It is honest grey steel, decorated with blue. It is the custom of the castle to wear black, they told him. This armour is as good as your own. Sir Balin felt sad. He could hardly tell why, and was very sorry that he had ever come to the castle. Putting on the armour, however, he went into the courtyard and mounted his horse. No sooner was he ready than another knight, clad all in black, entered the courtyard. The two knights rode together so fiercely that the shock threw them both off their horses in a swoon. 
After a time they recovered and began to fight on foot, pressing each other nearer the walls of the castle. Sir Balin was fighting with the sword that he had taken from the damsel in King Arthur's court. It was a strong sword, and whenever it struck, the armor of his opponent cracked. They fought till their breath failed, and then they rested. Each knew that never before had he dealt with such a strong enemy. Then they fought again, and gave each other seven deep wounds, the least of which would prove fatal. All the ground was red with blood, but Sir Balin fought on still, for the people of the castle were watching from the walls, and he wished to be thought a great warrior. So at last he used all his remaining strength, and gave the other knight such a hard blow that he fell to the ground. Sir Balin knew that it was a death stroke. He felt that he too was about to die, and said, Who are you? I never fought with such a strong knight before. The other answered faintly, I am Sir Balin, the brother to the good knight Sir Balin. Then Sir Balin cried out, Alas, that I should live to see this day, and he fell backward in a swoon. Sir Balin was dying, but he crawled on his hands and knees to where Sir Balin lay, and took off his helmet only to discover the face of his brother. Then he wept bitterly till Sir Balin recovered from his swoon. Alas, said Sir Balin, if we had but worn our own armour, we should have known each other. And now we must die. We have killed each other. Sir Balin was too full of remorse to weep. All this is my fault, he said. As the old man on the road told me, I have been too self-willed. First. I would have the damsel's sword, although she told me that I should slay with it the best friend I had. That is you, Balin. And then I would enter this castle in spite of warnings. I deserve to die, but it is a hard punishment that I should have killed you, my brother. Soon some ladies came from the wall into the courtyard, and to them Sir Balin said, We are two dear brothers who have killed each other. I pray you, promised to bury us in the same grave. The ladies wept as they made the promise. The two brothers put their arms about each other and waited for death. They hoped to die together, but Sir Balin died first. Soon after, when Sir Balin had also died, the ladies buried them together and put a stone above the grave, telling the sad story of their combat and death. Sir Geraint and Enid One of the bravest knights in King Arthur's court was Sir Geraint. Once he was in the forest with Queen Guinevere and one of her maidens, when a lady, a knight, and a servant rode by. The queen told the maiden to go to the servant and ask who his master was. As the maiden reproached them, she saw that the knight had a very proud face. She asked the servant his master's name, but he said roughly, I do not know. If you do not know, answered the maiden, I will ask him myself. She started to ride up to the knight, but the servant struck at her with his whip. Upon this, she went back and told the queen and Sir Geraint what had passed. Sir Geraint was very angry, and he said to the queen, 
fair queen, I will ride after this knight and his servant and avenge the insult done to your maiden. If I succeed, I shall return in three days. Do so, said the queen, and I trust you will succeed, not only in this, but in all things which you attempt. Some day you will love some fair lady. Before you marry her, bring her to me, and no matter how poor or how rich she may be, I will clothe her for her wedding in the most beautiful garments in the world. They shall shine like the sun. So off rode Sir Geraint, keeping at some distance behind the lady, the knight, and the servant. At last, after passing through many woods, he lost sight of them as they disappeared beyond the top of a hill. So Geraint rode up and saw below him in a valley the one street of a little town. On one side was a fortress, so new that the stone of which it was built was still white, while on the other side stood a grey old castle, fast falling into decay. He saw the three people he was following enter the fortress. In the little town there was a great deal of noise and bustle. At first Sir Geraint could not find any place to stay, for the houses were all full. He stopped before a servant who was scouring his master's armour and asked what all the noise meant. The servant said, The sparrowhawk, and went on working. Then he met an old man carrying a sack of corn and asked him the same question. The old man made the same reply. Next, Sir Geraint approached one who was making armour and questioned him. Without looking up, the man replied, Friend, he who works for the sparrowhawk has little time for answering questions. Sir Geraint was vexed and said, I am weary of hearing of your sparrowhawk. I do not understand what you mean. Will you not tell me where I can find a place to stay for tonight? And will you not sell me some armour? I have but my sword. Then the man looked up and said, Your pardon, sir. We are all very busy here, for tomorrow we hold a tournament, and our work is not half done. I cannot give you armour, for we need all that we have in the town. As to lodging, all the room is taken. However, perhaps Sir Ineol in the castle will receive you. Sir Geraint rode over to the grey old castle, and as the gate was open, entered the ruined courtyard. Dismounting, he went into the hall. Here he found the earl, an elderly man dressed in clothes which had once been handsome, but were now old and worn. To him, Sir Geraint said, Good sir, I seek lodging for the night. The old earl Ineol said, Sir, I was once rich and am now poor. Nevertheless, I will gladly give you the best I have. As he spoke, someone in the castle began to sing. The voice was very sweet. Sir Geraint thought he had never heard anyone sing so wonderfully. That is my daughter Enid, said the earl. Then he took Sir Geraint into a room in which sat an old lady in a faded velvet gown. She was the earl's wife. By her side stood Enid in a faded silk gown. She was as beautiful as her voice was sweet. And after watching her, Sir Geraint said to himself, I already love this maiden. He said nothing out loud, only looked at her. Earl Ineol spoke to her. Enid, 
This good knight will stay with us. His horse is in the courtyard. Take it to the stall and give it corn. Then go into the town and buy us some food. So Geraint wished to put away his horse himself, but the old earl said, Sir, we are very poor, but we cannot permit our guests to do any work. I pray you, stay here. So Enid took the horse to the stall. After that, she went into the town and soon returned with meat and sweet cakes. Then, because most of the rooms in the old castle were in ruins, she cooked the meat in the same hall in which they were to eat. When the meal was ready, she waited on her father and mother and Sir Geraint. The knight watched her and loved her more and more. When they had risen from the table, he said to the earl, My lord, pray tell me what the people of this town mean when they speak of the sparrowhawk. The earl's face grew sad as he said, That is the name given to the young knight who rules in this town. Does he live in the fortress? said Sir Geraint. And do a lady and a servant ride with him? Yes, said the earl. Ah, then he is the man I am in search of, said Sir Geraint. I must fight with him before three days are over. I am Geraint of King Arthur's court. I know your name well, said the earl. We often hear of your great deeds at Camelot. Many times I have related to my Enid the story of your brave deeds. I am bound to do my duty with the other knights, answered Sir Geraint. And now, tell me more of this Sparrowhawk. Alas, he is my nephew said the earl. At one time I ruled this town. My nephew, the Sparrowhawk, was powerful too, and he asked to unite our power by marrying Enid, but neither she nor I wished it. Then he collected a body of men and attacked me, and took all my wealth, leaving me nothing but this old castle. Tomorrow, said Sir Geraint, I will fight in the tournament with this Sparrowhawk, and conquer him, and give you back your lands but I lack armour. I can give you armour, although it is old and rusty, said the earl. But no one is allowed to fight in this tournament unless there is some lady he loves best in all the world. Then he fights for the sake of his lady, and if he wins, receives the prize, which he in turn gives to her. What is the prize? asked Sir Geraint. A hawk, a sparrowhawk made of gold. This nephew of mine is very strong and has always overcome every knight who has opposed him in these tournaments, which are held yearly. It is because he has won the prize so often that he is called the Sparrowhawk. But tell me, is there some lady whom you love? Then Sir Geraint said, I love this child of yours, my lord, and will gladly make her my wife, if you will permit it. The Earl was very glad. Enid was afraid, for she thought she was not worthy of such a great knight. Yet she knew she loved him, and said so, and soon promised to go with him to Arthur's court within three days. The next morning, the Earl and Sir Geraint and Enid went to the field where the tournament was to take place. Many knights and ladies were there. The ladies sat under a pavilion which was draped in purple velvet, ornamented with gold, while the knights were on horseback. A herald blew a trumpet, and the knight who was called the Sparrowhawk galloped into the field. He rode around it three times, and then went up to the pavilion and said to his lady, I give you the gold Sparrowhawk again. 
because no one dares to fight with me for it. Then Sir Geraint rode forward in his rusty armor and said, I will fight you. The knight looked upon him and gave a very scornful laugh as he rode at Sir Geraint. The two clashed together and began to fight fiercely while all the people watched. Twice they had to stop and rest. For a long time they seemed evenly matched and no one could decide which would win. But when Sir Geraint looked to where Enid sat in her faded silk gown, among the richly dressed ladies in the pavilion, he grew very strong and struck his enemy such a blow that he fell to the earth. Now, Sparrowhawk, said Sir Geraint, I have overthrown you. You must do two things. You must ride with your lady and your servant to Arthur's court and ask pardon of Queen Guinevere, because your servant struck her maiden, and you must restore all the riches you have taken from your good uncle, Earl Inniel. This the knight promised to do. And afterwards, in Arthur's court, he grew very sorry for his evil deeds and became a good man. Meanwhile, Enid was making ready to go to Arthur's court with Sir Geraint. She was sorry that she had only her robe of faded silk. She remembered a robe her mother had given her before the Sparrowhawk took their riches. It was of velvet, the colour of mother of pearl, with gold leaves and flowers and birds embroidered upon it. While she was thinking of this beautiful robe, her mother entered the room carrying it. Enid gave a cry of joy, and her mother told her that the Sparrowhawk had just given it back, together with other robes and gold and jewels. Put it on, Enid, she said, and helped her daughter to array herself in the handsome gown, exclaiming, How beautiful you look, my dear child. Sir Geraint may well be proud to fetch such a fair lady to King Arthur's court. Just then the Earl entered to tell them that the knight wanted Enid to ride with him to Camelot in the faded silk dress in which he had first seen her. Enid, although she was deeply disappointed, at once put on again her faded gown. When Sir Geraint came in, he saw that the Earl's wife was also disappointed, so he told them that the Queen had promised to dress his bride in the most beautiful robes in the world for her wedding. At this, both the ladies were much pleased. So after bidding farewell to her parents, Enid rode with Sir Geraint to Camelot, where the Queen welcomed her and gave her a robe that was as bright as the sun. Then the good Archbishop of Canterbury married Sir Geraint and Enid amid great rejoicings. Arthur and Sir Accolon There was a woman in Arthur's court named Morgan Le Fay who had learned a great deal about magic. She was a wicked woman and hated the king because he was more powerful than she and because he was so good. However, she pretended to be a true friend to him and the king believed in her. One day when they were talking together, she asked him if he would not let her take charge of his wonderful sword Excalibur and its scabbard. She said that she would guard them so carefully that they would never be stolen. As she was very eager, Arthur granted her request. One day in time of peace, King Arthur went out hunting with a certain knight named Sir Accolon, who was the lover of Morgan le Fay. They rode for a long time, and when they were tired, stopped to rest beside a great lake. 
As they looked over its shining waters, they saw a beautiful little ship which sailed straight towards them and ran up to the sands at their feet. It was all covered with golden silks which waved in the gentle wind. King Arthur and Sir Accolon climbed into it and examined it thoroughly, but they found no one on board. They rested on two couches which were on the deck until it grew dark. Then they were about to return home, when all at once a hundred torches set on the sides of the ship were lighted, and suddenly there appeared twelve beautiful damsels, who told the two that they were welcome and that they should be served with a banquet. Presently, the maidens led the king and the knight into a room which had a table covered with a white cloth embroidered in purple. It bore many golden dishes, and each dish had a beautiful design carved upon it. Some dishes had vine leaves, other ivy leaves, some had angels with long robes sweeping back in graceful lines, and all these dishes held choice food. The king and Sir Accolon ate to their heart's content. Then the damsels led them into two separate chambers. King Arthur was tired and so sleepy that he gave but one glance at his bedroom. He saw that it was hung in red silk embroidered with gold dragons and griffins. Then he threw himself on his bed and slept very soundly. When he awoke, he found himself not in the pretty bedchamber, but in a dark place. He could see nothing, but all about him he heard the sound of complaining and weeping. He was much bewildered, but in a moment he cried, What is this? Where am I? Then a voice answered, You are in prison, as we are. Who are you? asked Arthur. The voice replied, We are twenty knights, prisoners, and some of us have been here as long as seven years. We are in the dungeons of a wicked lord named Sir Damas. He has a younger brother, and the two brothers are enemies, quarrelling about their inheritance. Now the younger brother, Sir Anselake, is very strong, but Sir Damas is not strong, and moreover he is a coward. So he tries to find a knight who will fight for him against Sir Anselake. But Sir Damas is so much hated that no one will fight for him, so he goes about the country with a body of rough men, and whenever he sees a knight he captures him. Then he asks him to fight with Sir Onslake. So far, all the knights have refused and have been thrown into prison. We do not have enough food, but we would rather die here than to fight for Sir Damas, who is so wicked. At that moment, a damsel entered the prison with a torch, which faintly lighted the dismal place, and advanced to the king. Sir, she said, will you fight for my lord, Sir Damas? If you will... You shall be taken from this prison. If you will not, you shall die here. Arthur considered for some time and then said, I would rather fight than die in prison. If I fight, will you deliver also all these prisoners? The damsel promised, and Arthur consented to fight. While she went to tell Sir Damas, Arthur said to the other prisoners, My friends, I do not know Sir Damas, and I do not know Sir Onslake. I do not know whether they are bad or good. But I will fight, and then, when I have conquered, I shall judge between them and do justice to both. That is a good plan, said the knights. But why are you so sure that you will conquer? I am Arthur, the king, he replied. 
At that, the knights set up a great cry of joy, and the king continued, I shall send for my good sword Excalibur and the scabbard, and with these I shall surely win. So when Arthur and the knights were led out of prison, the king sent the damsel who had visited them to Morgan le Fay for his sword and scabbard. Meanwhile, the knight who had accompanied Arthur on the little ship, Sir Accolon, also awoke. He found himself in the palace of Morgan le Fay, and he wondered very much where Arthur was. He went to the lady, who said to him, My dear lord, the day has come when you can have great power if you want it. Should you like to be king of this land instead of Arthur? Now, Sir Accolon was a traitor at heart. He wanted very much to be king, even if the good King Arthur was to be killed. So he said, Yes, truly. Then she said, You shall be king, and I shall be your queen. All you need to do is to fight a great battle which you will win. I have been using my magic. It was I who sent the ship of silk to you and Arthur. I had him put into prison, and I had you brought here. Sir Accolon wondered very much. Then she told him of the fight King Arthur was to make against Sir Onslake. But I have caused Sir Onslake to fall sick, she said, and he cannot fight. I shall go with you to his castle, and you can offer to fight for him. I, to fight with the king, cried Sir Accolon, he would surely overthrow me. He cannot, said Morgan le Fay, because you are to fight with his sword. A little while ago he sent to me for Excalibur and the scabbard, but I returned him a false sword which looks like Excalibur and a false scabbard. You shall take the true ones, and then you shall surely overcome him and rule this land. Then Sir Accolon was glad, and he hastened with the lady to the castle of Sir Onslake. They found him groaning because he was ill, and because Sir Damas had sent him a challenge to fight with a knight, and he could not accept it. He was very much relieved when Morgan le Fay told him that Sir Accolon would fight in his place. Early in the afternoon, King Arthur and Sir Accolon rode into the field where the combat was to be held. Arthur did not know who Sir Accolon was, nor did anyone else except Morgan le Fay. Two sides of the field were full of people who came to watch, half of whom were friends of Sir Damas, and the other half were friends of Sir Onslake. Arthur and Sir Accolon rode at each other so fiercely that at the shock of meeting both fell off their horses. Then they began to fight fiercely with their swords. The king could make no headway with his false steel, but whenever Sir Accolon struck at Arthur, he drew blood. The king was much amazed. He grew weaker and weaker, but still he kept on his feet. Those who watched him were sorry for him. They thought they had never seen a man fight so bravely. At last, Arthur's sword broke and fell in two pieces on the ground. When Sir Accolon saw this, he cried, Now, yield to me. I will never yield, said the king, and if you do not get me another sword, you will be shamed before all men, for it is an unknightly thing to fight with a defenseless man. I do not care, said Sir Accolon. If you will not yield, defend yourself with your shield as best you can. He rushed at the king. Arthur was so weak that he could hardly stand, but he guarded himself as well as he could with his shield. Soon he could do no more and fell to the ground. 
At this moment, the Lady of the Lake, who had given Arthur his sword, came upon the field. She was invisible, but anyone who had listened intently could have heard a sound like the ripple of water as she walked. She caused Excalibur to fall out of the hand of Sir Accolon and drop near Arthur. When it fell, Arthur saw that it was his own Excalibur. He grasped his handle and some of his strength came back. He struggled to his feet and, rushing up to Sir Accolon, seized the scabbard of Excalibur and threw it far over the field. Now, he said, send for a second sword and fight with me. Then Sir Accolon was afraid, yet he thought that Arthur was so weak that he could still be overcome. So he sent for a second sword and they began to fight again. Arthur's strength, however, had largely returned, and in a short time he gave Sir Accolon a mortal stroke. Sir Accolon fell to the ground, and the king, leaning over him, cried, Tell me who you are. Then Sir Accolon was filled with remorse, and he said, O oh, my king, I have been a traitor to you, but now I am dying, and I am sorry for what I have done. I deserve my death. He told the king his name, and all about his treachery and that of Morgan le Fay. King Arthur was sad. It is very hard to be deceived in a friend, he said, but I forgive you freely. I will try to cure your wound, and sometime I will trust you again. You cannot cure me, said Sir Accolon. I am dying. Let them carry me off the field. So he was taken to a neighbouring abbey, while the people crowded about the king to congratulate him. But Arthur said, I am sad at heart. My victory is no comfort to me, for today I have lost a friend whom I believed true. Then he called the two brothers, Sir Damas and Sir Onslake, and judged their cause. He decided that their property must be divided equally between them, and that they must be friends. They promised never to quarrel again. Arthur told them that they must be kind to other knights and to all people. He said that if he heard they were not, he would come and punish them. After this, Sir Damas gave back to the twenty knights all their money, and they went on their way rejoicing. King Arthur mounted his horse and rode over to the abbey, where he sat by the bed of Sir Accolon till the poor knight died. Then the king went back alone to his court at Camelot. Good night. <laughs>